And now I'm going to continue the sermon series that I've started, uh, which is the life of Elijah. Uh, there's so much for us to learn from Elijah, and this will become part two in that ongoing sermon series. And I've entitled it, God Takes Elijah Away from the Place of Isolation. Uh, but really, it also, the subtext is, it's all about faith. This is God's way of teaching us the importance of faith. You cannot walk with God. You cannot have a godly Christian life unless that life is fully composed of faith, devoted to God, believing in God, walking with God in every way. And so as we reflected on this the last time I spoke, we knew that, that Elijah was in the Cherith Valley in the ravine there, and God had brought him there in a place of isolation, uh, even as God had pronounced judgment through Elijah on Israel for three and a half years. There'd be no rain. There'd be an incredible drought. And so there he is in this ravine where there's a bubbling brook, and he's being fed by ravens. And God is working with him and molding him and melding him and making him a mighty man of God. This is what God does. And often he takes us into isolation uh, in order to do this. Uh, but now God dries up the brook. The brook dries up. Uh, and as we said, so many of us have faced dried up brooks in our lives, meaning God says the season is over. It's time to move on. I have faced this in my own life a number of times. I know you have. This very church uh, is a creation of a dried up brook as a result of that. And so that's exactly what happens here. And God will teach us some valuable lessons as a result of that. And so if you look at the board, you'll see 1 Kings 17 verses 8 and 9. Then the word of the Lord came to him, that is Elijah, go at once to Zarephath in the region of Sidon and stay there. I have, a, I have directed a widow there to supply you with food. <clears throat> God seeks to humble us. You can imagine what it had to be like for Elijah to hear. I want you to pick up and walk a hundred miles away. Walk a hundred miles away. Walk in the open. Yes, I know Ahab has thousands of soldiers that are out for you, but I want you to walk openly, and I want you to go to Zarephath. And when you get there, I want you to look for a widow who is going to take care of you and supply you with food. That had to be a humbling statement to hear uh, from a Jewish man. A widow? A widow is going to take care of me? That's right. A widow is going to take care of you. Just like I had the ravens feed you, now I'm directing this widow to feed you. Uh, and so this becomes an important aspect in the deeper life of Elijah. Uh, and so as we walk with the Lord, we understand this, that the brooks dry up. He calls us to different service. Uh, and as he creates us and strengthens us and lifts, up, lifts us up, uh, we walk with him in faith. And I'm reminded here uh, of the verse in Isaiah, Isaiah 41, verse 10, which says, so do not fear for I am with you. Do not be dismayed, for I am your God. I will strengthen you and help you. I will uphold you with my righteous right hand. Do not be dismayed. And I want to say that to people here today in the church, that I know that some of you are suffering and hurting. Some of you have recently suffered loss, significant loss. And I know that it's not easy, but I want you to understand God's with you and he's, he's affirming you and he's helping you. He will never abandon you. 
And so you have to rely on him in faith that he will be with you and lift you up in every way. And so here he is. Now God is directing Elijah, go 100 miles to Zarephath. Uh, and even though you're a wanted man and there are thousands of soldiers out looking for you, you walk in the open. You go there uh, and I will direct the widow to take care of you. And so God knew precisely where he wanted Elijah to go. And so you'll see then in 1 Kings 17, verse 9, Arise, go to Zarephath, which belongs to Sidon, and stay there, because behold, I have commanded a widow there to provide for you. This is a very humbling proposition. A widow is going to take care of me, is going to supply what I need. Well, I'll go, Lord. I'll do what you want. And then you see verses 10 and 11 in that passage. So he went to Zarephath. And when he came to the town gate, a widow was there gathering sticks. He called her and asked, would you bring me a little water in a jar so I may have a drink? As she was going to get it, he called and said, and bring me, please, a piece of bread. Now, you travel 100 miles. I would think you need some water and you need some bread. All right? I'm pretty sure that's not an unreasonable request. And you can imagine this widow there, who obviously God has spoken to her, um, and we're going to see her life develop in faith also. And so uh, there's two tests that come to Elijah right away. Two tests. And these are two tests that we all face in our own lives. Uh, the first test is effectively the test of first impressions. First impressions. I'm guilty of the test of first impressions. Uh, I'm sorry to say that, that that is one of the things that I tend to do that I immediately tend to uh, have a first impression of somebody. Are they qualified? Are they someone that I can work with in ministry? Uh, do they have a certain set of giftedness? Uh, do they have a personality that I can work with? And often, that first impression is wrong. It's wrong. Now, I can imagine that here is Elijah being told to go and look for this widow. Here she is, picking up a few sticks, uh, and God is telling him, this is the one. And so he says, look, could you get me some water? And by the way, can you get me some, some bread? And, and I want you to look at the answer that she gives, which had to be a test for Elijah as well. And that's in verse 12. First Kings, again, chapter 17, verse 12. As surely as the Lord your God lives, she replied, I don't have any bread. Only a handful of flour in a jar and a little olive oil in a jug. I am gathering a few sticks to take home and make a meal for myself and my son that we may eat it and die. Whoa, God, this is the lady who's going to take care of me? She's going home to die with that final meager meal? This is where you sent me? And I want you to understand how God is testing Elijah, you see? And this is how God tests you, and he's directing you at times to go places and say things and be with people. And then you say, I, this isn't going to work out. This can't be right. This can't be. I must have somehow misconstrued you, Father. Uh, I'm going home to die. Uh, and, and what a surprising response from the woman who God has directed to take care of him. And I want you to understand that God is working on multi-levels. He's testing her. He's testing him because he's going to do something mighty with her and he's going to do something even greater with Elijah as life goes on. 
And so this is the test of first impressions. Stop with the stupid first impressions. If I told you that she's the one, she's the one. Move on. Don't worry about what your impression is on on her. This is God teaching you otherwise to make these determinations. And the second test that God is putting Elijah through is the test of physical impossibility. And we've all been there. God, I'm praying that you'll do this, but I know it's impossible. I'm asking God for you to open this door, but I know you can't. I know you might, Lord, but I know you won't. How many of us have had these kind of prayers? We pray and then we back it off. I know it can't be done. It's too great. It's too big. It's too impossible. And I'm sure this is exactly went through Elijah's mind. I've just walked 100 miles and you told me to come to this lady and she's going home to die and she's going to take care of me. She can't even take care of herself. You do what I told you to do. That's the test of impossibility. And so you see it here. Again, we make these judgments based on human perspectives. Lord, deliver me from my human perspective. Help me, Father, as I walk with you to recognize that there's a whole different dimension with you. It's the sacred divine dimension. It's not the human dimension. I don't care what human possibilities are or impossibilities. I know what you have directed me to do. And so look at how Elijah, inspired by God, the training of God as he has become this mighty man of God, speaks to this lady about going home and dying because she doesn't even have enough oil uh, to feed herself and flour to take care of her son. In verses 13 to 14, Elijah says, and Elijah said to her, don't be afraid. By the way, what do you think it takes to say something like that? to somebody who was just told you I'm going home to die. Don't be afraid. Don't be afraid. You see, you can only speak like that when you walk with God because God has trained you, because you have the confidence to speak to God like that and speak with God. Don't be afraid. God will be with you. He will honor you. Don't be afraid. Go home and do as you have said. But first, Make a small loaf of bread for me from what you have and bring it to me and then make something for yourself and your son. And let me stop the verse right there and say this. If you have any doubt whatsoever about God's doctrine of tithing, this is it. Okay? This isn't a sermon about tithing, but this is a sermon about God's will for your life. Go home and make the first part for me and then take care of yourself. But I have nothing left. I understand, but God will bless you. And what you see here is the fact that God says that the first part of what we have belongs to him. And when you give him that part first, he multiplies what's left. I recently had a chance to talk to another pastor who said to me, One of the congregants in his church was saying he was having such a difficult time tithing. He needed the money. He couldn't afford to tithe. Uh, And this pastor said, I encouraged this man that he needed to step out in faith, that God would multiply it. In fact, a couple months later, he saw him, and that was the fact. And here's the point. When you step out for God, when you give back to God what is God's property to start, he multiplies what's left. Amen? 
I want to say that to you. This is important. This, is, you know, this, this goes beyond the net, the gross, the 10%. It's an understanding of how God operates in our lives. And then look at the next verse there when Elijah says to her, For this is what the Lord, the God of Israel, says, The jar of flour will not be used up, and the jug of oil will not run dry until the day the Lord sends rain on the land. How about that? You don't worry about it. I speak to God. I'm a man of God. That jar will never run dry. The flour will never be empty. It will be there for the next several years until the drought is ended. That's the promise of God. Uh, and so he fo Elijah rolls up his sleeves and focuses on the word of God and he encourages this woman. Uh, he had seen the faithfulness of God at Cherith. He had gone through the, the furnace at Cherith and, and he had become a changed man. Yes, he was always a spokesman for God, but now he is a man of God. He can speak with authority. And so here's the point that I want to say to you in all of your lives, that as God is testing you, and we've all been tested, all of our brooks have run dry at some point, the important lesson for you is that you can't talk the talk unless you've walked the walk. You can't talk the talk unless you've walked the walk. How can I tell somebody God will take care of you, I have confidence, when in fact my own life is empty of that promise? When I haven't walked with God, when I haven't sacrificed with God, when I haven't had the ups and downs, but only when I've been there and I've walked there, that I've walked that walk, that I can talk that talk. And that's my prayer for every one of you, that you have that comfort level in your lives. You can't encourage others to believe in God to believe in the impossible unless you first have walked there. And you all have experienced these miracles in your life. All of you. And, and here's the thing. And so many of us, it's these small things that we don't even come to recognize. I recently had a chance to talk to a dear sister from our church who had been praying that her daughter can move out of a state and come to Florida. And in incremental steps, every single thing that she prayed for came together. A job for the husband in Florida. A job for the, the daughter in Florida. All of a sudden, the house sells in one day. Every single block comes together. And here's what we say. Oh, it's, it's, it's good luck. That's not good luck. You understand? Don't call it good luck. It's God honoring the prayers of righteous people. And putting them in a place where he wants you to be. Understand this. This is important as Christians that we understand these are the building blocks of righteousness where God is walking into our life. And so this is what Elijah is teaching this widow. And you need to understand that God can do the impossible. The impossible. And so this is why he blessed that woman's obedience and submission. Now, he knew that the oil was empty and the flour was empty, but he also knew it was no problem for God. God had taken care of him in Cherith. And so he experienced what God could do. So he knew that God would do it again. And here's the thing. We need to surround ourselves by people of faith. You understand? This is important. You need to have friends and church people who are around you, people who have walked and experienced People who are there in faith. Someone who can embrace you and pray for you and says, I know where you are. I know your pain. 
I want you to know that I've suffered and walked there and God will take care of you. You understand what that means? That's what it means to have that kind of faith. This is what God wants. And so Elijah is telling this woman to practice the same kind of obedience he had. In verses 15 to 16, we see she went away and did as Elijah told her. So there was food every day for Elijah and for the woman and her family, for the jar of flour was not used up, and the jug of oil did not run dry, in keeping with the word of the Lord spoken by Elijah. <clears throat> Obedience in its most basic form. A miracle every day. Not good luck. Not good fortune. But the hand of God performing a miracle every day. And I submit that each and one of you has the same testimony, that there's some aspect of your life that God is doing that right now. I'm confident of that. And so the, the widow met God in her kitchen. How about that? In her kitchen. God was ministering her and giving her a sermon every day as she poured out that oil and the flour. She had everything that she needed. Uh, and here's the point that you need to learn. When you come to the end of your own resources, God is there. When you come to the end of the time when you say, I can't do it anymore, Lord, it's impossible, only you can do it, that's when God steps up. When you have the faith to know that that's what will happen. So many of us are planning, I need to do this, I need to do this, what about this, what about that? I would say, put it all aside. Give it up to God and ask God to direct your path in every way, and he will. Uh, think of all of the blessings that God has poured into our lives. Look, look at this church. Look at the fact that when we thought that we had a church, and when the rug was pulled out of, from us at the 11th hour, how distraught we were. Did we ever think we'd find seven acres in Naples, Florida? Did we ever think that was possible? I had given up hope. I thought for sure we would never be able to get a church in Naples. The market was too high. It was too expensive. Uh, there was too much construction. And God says, just sit back. Just sit back and wait and rely on me. And here it is on Friday. We're closing on a seven acre track with a building on it. Who would ever think that this is possible? You see, this is God, the God of impossibilities. There's the example, the testimony of this church. And so the lessons in the life of Elijah continue unabated. Uh, and that's how God is. And you see it in Kings 17, verse 17. Sometime later, the son of the woman who owned the house became ill. He became, uh, he grew worse and worse and finally stopped breathing. She said to Elijah, what do you have against me, man of God? Did you come to remind me of my sin and kill my son? Oh, Lord, have mercy. What do you think Elijah felt like? You just told me to go 100 miles to find this lady who had no provisions and she was going to die and you honored her. And now you, now you allow her son to die? How can you do this to me? Do you think that went through his mind? Is it possible? I can tell you for sure it went through his mind. He's a human being, and there's so many of us that have walked with God, that we've given our lives to God, and yet these, these things come our way, these acts of sadness. There's no understanding what, what's happening, but this was clearly 
the hand of God. And so after all the things that Elijah had been through, he now faces another impossible situation. Uh, this boy dies because his illness is so severe. And the woman who was being nurtured uh, in faith is now blaming Elijah because effectively she's saying, you've exposed my sin to God, I'm being judged. Oh, God, isn't that how we think? I'm being judged by God. Wait a minute, God isn't judging you. He's got a test in your life. He's got better things for you. He's got a plan for you in your life. Uh, and so the mother looked for someone to blame. Uh, and, and I love the way Elijah handled this. She said, did you come to remind me of my sin and kill my son? And so she looks upon the death of her son as condemnation, personal condemnation. She blames Elijah as God's representative. It's your fault. Uh, and so look at how Elijah responds. He asks her uh, for the boy's body. Uh, and he takes the boy's body up to the upper room, which is where he slept. Uh, and he places him on a bed. And what I love here about Elijah is there's not a word here in which he attempts to console her. He doesn't attempt to soothe her. Uh, and this is a lesson for me, because I would say this for us. As people of God, we have to be careful when we come to see people who are hurting or dying or suffering from a serious disease. Don't walk into the hospital room and immediately quote Romans 8, 28. Oh, for we know that all things work together for good for them that love the Lord and are called according to his purpose. I rest on that verse that's one of the most important verses in my life. But I wouldn't blithely quote that verse to somebody who has just been told they're going to die. You have to be careful. God asks you to have discernment in terms of giving scripture and prayer to someone. That may not be the time. Her son had just died. Elijah understood soothing words would be meaningless at this time. He prayed for her that God would touch her and give her an understanding, but he just takes the boy and he brings the boy upstairs. And sometimes God puts us in a vice and then squeezes. You understand? Sometimes he puts us in a vice and then he squeezes. Elijah does not waver. I am struck by this. Nobody at that point in scripture had ever raised anybody from the dead. You have to say, what did he think he was doing? Give me the corpse. Give me the corpse. I'm taking it upstairs. I'm going to put it on the bed. But do you see the extent of this man's faithfulness and reliance on God? And he doesn't waver. Give me the corpse. And so he says, give me the boy. Uh, and he stood silently under the spirit of God as he brought that boy upstairs. And he places that body of the boy on the bed, and then goes before the Lord in prayer. Look at Kings 17, verse 20. Then he cried out to the Lord, Lord, my God, have you brought tragedy even on this widow I am staying with by causing her son to die? This is an example of what happens when you have a personal relationship with God. You understand? You can talk to God. You can argue to God. You can complain to God because you have the faithfulness to know he hears you. What have you done to me? You've brought me here 
and then you've killed her son? Lord, how can this be so? And you can raise the tough questions of life to God. This is what I want for each and every one of you, that you can speak to God this way, that you can raise these tough questions to God. I'm sure he was befuddled. You think he had the answer? He's a man. He didn't have an answer. He didn't know why this happened. But this is an example of the kind of prayer life that God wants you to develop, to have complete confidence in God, in your relationship with God, that you can speak to God this way. And then in verses 21 to 22, we see, then he stretched himself out on the boy three times and cried out to the Lord, Lord, my God, let this boy's life return to him. The Lord heard Elijah's cry and the boy's life returned to him and he lived. That would be quite a movie, wouldn't it? Right there in that upper room. Now, as I've studied this, one of the things that come, came across my mind is the fact that he laid three times on the boy's body. Three times God told him to lay on it. Now, you have all been through these sermons I've given about the third day, about God telling Israel something incredible would happen on the third day and understand that Jesus Christ himself would rise out of a grave on the third day. Do you think this is inconsequential that he's told to lay three times on the corpse and after the third time, the boy comes to life? You see how God is? The sovereignty and majesty of God, he tells you over and over and over again, this is what I'm going to do, Israel. Be aware of the third day. And you see it again here in this ma massive miracle. And in the process, he, he, this boy comes back to life. Uh, and I'm certain that Elijah had received assurance that God would do that. Yet, incredible amount of faith that it takes to do this. And so, Elijah brings the boy back down to the mother and gives him back. He did not claim credit in any way. Let's stop and park on that. Does that sound like something that would happen today? with televangelists. Uh, I just want you to know I raised somebody from the dead. You can send a check for $100 in for this address, and I'll send you back a prayer cloth you can use. There's no telling who you can raise from the dead. I mean, seriously, do you see the difference between a real man of God and someone that's a purveyor, I would call it, <clears throat> a purveyor of money? Because a real man of God seeks no, no credit for himself. He points up. It's all about him. It's all about God. And so he did this. He didn't claim any credit at all for this. But the widow understood immediately. And you see that in verse 24. Then the woman said to Elijah, Now I know that you are a man of God and that the word of the Lord from your mouth is the truth. Oh my, what an incredible incredible miracle and the results of testing, testing for her, testing for him. And so the God of Elijah is still your God today. Let me assure you, still your God today. He is the God of impossible situations. He was a model of our spiritual humility uh, and heroic walk with God. 
Who among us would not want to have this kind of faith? We want that kind of faith. We want to be able to walk with God and have that assurance that when we pray to God, he hears us and that he will answer those prayers and ask us to diligently walk with him. We have to remember that we are all in training. Every day of your life, as you walk with him, you are in training. God, Elijah believed in the God of impossibilities. And so there's a couple of lessons that come together here as we reflect on this. First, the overriding issue is faith. Uh, both Elijah and the widow cultivated a deeper sense of faith through experiencing God. This is how your faith grows. Your faith grows through testing. It's like going to the gym. It's like lifting weights. Your faith grows as you lift the weights, as you walk with God, as you experience God, and as you lift him up in faith in every possible way. Elijah obeyed without any doubt. And there were so many areas of doubt that he could have had, starting with the 100-mile walk, starting with first impressions, starting with the impossibility, and yet he put it all aside, and he relied on God. Even when God struck the boy down, he didn't lose faith. He knew that God could still do this. And the widow herself lifted up God when he was, she was told, go and get the flour, go and get the oil. Even though you think it's your last meal, God will do otherwise. And she did that. And God honored that. He honored her humility. He honored her service by bringing her boy back to life. This is important for you to understand this. This is our God. He's the same God today as he was with the God of Elijah. He's no different. Yes, maybe our needs are different. All right. We're not in the middle of a three and a half year drought, but we're in a spiritual drought. We live in a country that's really in a spiritual drought. It's not easy to walk as a Christian in this world, and God knows it, and yet we still suffer physical ailments. All of us, all of our family members are suffering from some physical ailment, all right? I want you to know God sees your needs. He hears your prayer. He knows your wants. He's going to give you everything you need. It may not be everything you want, but it's going to be everything you need. You have that reliance that you can trust on him for that. And then look also at God's providence for his people. Look at this, how he takes care of his people, how he took Elijah from that bubbling brook that dried up, sent him 100 miles away across a desert in the open and gave him somebody there who would take care of him for an extended period of time. That was God. And how God brought Elijah there to take care of that widow who had no more food, who had no more oil, who God was there with her so that she would be taken care of for the remainder of the drought. This is God's providence, you see, for godly people. And I want to assure you today that you people are God's people, that you're godly people, that as you walk with God uh, and face the vicissitudes of life, God sees you and he will take care of you. I want to promise you that. I've lived it in my own life. I saw it with my own mother and father. I told you, I, I basically slept in the kitchen until I was 18 years of age. Now, do you think when I was 18 years of age and I'm sleeping in a kitchen on a daybed, did you think that I would ever come to the point where I would be living in Naples, Florida? I mean, talk about the God of impossibilities. Are you kidding me? 
But you see how God has a plan for your life, even beyond the most incredible thing that you can envision for yourself, that God does this. And every one of you has a similar story in your life that God has foreordained and foreplanned it. Similarly, for me, I'm practicing law. This is what I thought God wanted me to do. And then when I turned the age of 50, God brought a hammer down on my life and I knew immediately it was over. I couldn't practice law anymore. That wasn't the call on my life. That somehow he wanted me to become a Bible teacher. That's what he wanted. And yet, you understand, that seemed like an impossibility. I'm 50 years old. Why is that happening? Well, if you think that's an impossibility, how about 70 and then being called to be the pastor of a church? <laughs> you think that works on a resume? God doesn't care about age. Let me say that again. God doesn't care about age. And I'll prove it. When Abraham was 75 years old, God says to him, you're going to have a son. But guess what? He made him wait 25 more years. <laughs> you're not ready to be a father yet. You need some more maturity. You're 100. Now it's good. Now it's good. That's the point of God. So if you're sitting here in a chair today thinking I'm too old to do this, I could have done it earlier in my life. Forget about that. God is unconcerned about your chronological age. Really. I can say it myself, and I can say truthfully, I feel honestly more uh, energized today than I did 10 years ago. It's because of God. All right? And so God doesn't care that I turned 73 on Wednesday. That's of no consequence to him. No consequence. And so I'm, I'm putting my trust in Abraham. How's that? He had, he had 25. He had more than 25. But he had 25 years before he saw Isaac. And so that's what I want you to understand. This is the promises of God. This is what we have when we step out in faith and rely on God. God takes care of his own. If you've given God your heart, I want you to know God will take care of you. He took care of the widow. He took care of Elijah. Over and over and over, God says, do not be afraid. I don't care what the diagnosis is. I don't care what the doctor tells you. I don't care what the calendar says. I don't care how old you are. Do not be afraid. I am your God. I am your God. I am your God. And Jesus himself referenced this widow. How about that? Jesus himself referenced this widow. And so you understand how God gives you a spiritual legacy. This is an incredible story. What an incredible life this man has had. And you're going to see in the coming weeks how even more incredible it is as God will lift him up to face the forces of evil, face to face with evil, with the prophets of Baal that had taken Israel down the path of evil. And this man will come face to face with that evil. And God will use him to destroy it. This is a powerful story. 
And so I hope this inspires you today to know that God is with you, that he walks with you, that he loves you, that he takes care of you, that he sees your needs, that he will not abandon you. Have faith, rely on him, put your faith in him, walk in him, and he will not abandon you. Amen, church? Let's bow our heads. Lord, I thank you so much, Father, for this lesson, for the message of Elijah, how much it means to us, Lord, as we see what happens to a man whose life is fully given to you. Lord, I pray that each and every one of our people here can put their lives with you in this way, that we can give you our best, that we can walk with you, that we can change this world, that we can walk out and look at people who have no faith and help to give them the faith that they need. Help us, Lord, to raise up these people. Help us to give the lost hope in every way. Father, bless our people. Protect them this week to bring them back next week to continue to worship you as we put all of this in Jesus' precious name. Amen. Amen. God bless you, church. Amen.